Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. You got your ass, baby. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow now, is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast, Podcast. with host Eddie Trunk. Hey everybody, it's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which comes your way every Thursday. Totally free anywhere you get your podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you do not miss it, bringing you great interviews every week with all sorts of artists from the world of rock music. And this week, a little something different because this artist is not necessarily known for being from the rock world, but he is a huge rock fan. And if you've ever seen his performances, you know there is a very, very strong rock element to what he does. And he started out wanting to be a musician and still is to some degree. I'm talking about legendary magician illusionist Chris Angel. And I think you're going to enjoy this conversation and hearing more about his story in the interview on this week's podcast. Before we get to it, let me remind you, as I always do, that if you are in the U.S. or Canada and you are only listening to this podcast every week, you're only getting a tiny fraction of what I do every day on the radio on Sirius XM. All the interviews you hear on the Eddie Trunk podcast originated from my radio show, which is live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on volume channel 106. It's also on the Sirius XM app. It also replays every night, 10 to midnight Eastern. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, come on board and join me for Trunk, uh, Trunk Nation. That's the name of the show on volume channel 106 and get the full picture of what we do every day talking rock with you. This interview this week happened, uh, I want to say about a month ago, and it happened in my Las Vegas studio, and I got to meet Chris Angel recently when I started uh, living part-time in Las Vegas. He has been a staple on the Vegas scene for about 20 years now, currently doing two back-to-back shows at his own theater at Planet Hollywood, launched a new one recently called Amistica. And of course, the original one called Mind Freak. Chris also recently just landed a new TV deal for a new show focusing on his magic. And uh, he's got, I mean, he's just immensely successful. Great guy, does some great charity work, 
One of his uh, young sons recently had cancer. Thankfully, he's doing okay, but Chris has done some great work for pediatric cancer and raising funds for that as well. I've gotten to know him well in the last, uh, I don't know, few months or so. Went to the premiere of his new show, A Mystica, here in Vegas, and we talk all about that. But the other thing that's interesting to the music fans is that Chris actually started out wanting to be a musician, as you're about to hear. And he still does a lot of music in his show and still has a great passion for rock music. But he started out in New York kind of at a crossroads trying to decide if he was going to go the magic route more prominently or try to become a musician more prominently. He took the magic route. It's paid off massively for him. But as you're about to hear, he still very much has an interest and dabbles in rock music and is very connected to a lot of different rock musicians. Great guy and uh, super, super talented at what he does. And I think you're going to really enjoy hearing his story, hearing about his new show, his original show, his thoughts about magic and illusion, and of course, some talk about rock music as well. So this week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast, something a little different. Chris Angel, enjoy. So many times, uh, we got so many great shows here in Vegas, so many people based here, lived here. And uh, this is a guy that made his first appearance on the show very briefly when we did the deal with Scorpions a couple months ago in Planet Hollywood at Zappos Theater. And at that time, I said, as soon as our schedules align, you got to come sit in, do a full show. And here he is. Finally, we made it all work out. Chris Angel. Good to see you, bro. Great to see you, Eddie. Thank you so much for uh, having me on. It's crazy because I... I listened to you, and now I'm on your show, so thank you. <laughs> well, you, you grew up in New York, right? So you used to hear me on the radio. Well, I'm still on a, a station in New York, but you used to hear me th- there on, on FM, right? Yes. Doing the, the, the metal show and all oh, that? Oh, I used to, I used to listen to uh, all the metal shows from, uh, you know, Fingers Metal Shop to your show. To, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was a metal head, you know, still am, and uh, grew up in New York and uh, moved out to Vegas uh, back in, what, 2004, 2005 for Mind Freak, the television series, and uh, never went back to New York. I still have my family there, still had some uh, business there, but... Uh, but I'm not there. For years, you performed in New York. Didn't you do the, uh, you did the theater in Times Square, right? Which was at the time, I think, called the World. I, I forget. World what. Underground Theater, which was uh, the WWE. Yeah. And uh, I went in there and I was, you know, trying to find an opportunity because, you know, it took me 18 years to become overnight, overnight success. And it was a challenging road. And so I saw an opportunity. I saw this like little tiny room that was a storage room. And I was like, I can make a stage i can get like a hundred people in here i can call it the underground theater and it was wwe and i talked to the mcmahons and uh they gave me a shot and i did it i was supposed to be there for like 12 weeks i ended up being there for uh what was it 14 months and uh it was uh it was really my start i didn't have a manager i had nothing i produced it myself i borrowed money from the bank 9-11 this is after 9-11 people thought i was nuts and um you know, I, I just uh, busted my butt. I put my hair up in a hat, handed out flyers to all the people in Times Square, tried to sell tickets, and uh, end up doing really well there. And uh, then I got a television uh, special that I did. Actually, I think I did uh, two from there uh, before Mind Freak uh, on is it, is it the ve- Is it the venue, though, that's now the Hard Rock in Times Square? It is. It's, it was the but that's not a small. that's not a small venue unless it was when before well, they changed it. Well, when I went in there, they had their main stage, and then they had... Uh, then they had this little like room, banquet room, that they end up putting like furniture in it to store it. And then I saw it, and I took that over. 
And uh, and then I, I did my show there. It was a tiny little room. My stage, like my cousin Jimmy built the stage. It was like, you know, 10 feet by 10 feet. It was, you know, six, eight inches from the ground. I was in round and I'm levitating a girl in the round three feet away from people. They could touch her. It was, uh, it was an exciting time. Um, you know, Bill Coin. Kiss's uh, manager, Billy Idol's manager, Billy Squire's manager, yeah. was a friend of mine. And uh, I was down and out one time. I was like so depressed. And I remember sitting next to a garbage pail and he said, this is the best time of your life. And I said, what do you mean? He said, the journey is far greater than the destination and you will make it and you'll appreciate these times more than when you're at the destination. It's a lot more difficult when you're there to remain there and to remain uh, the most relevant. Um, and, and those days, you know, it was all about, you know, what's gonna happen next? You know, it's like a band, you know, you, you're trying to get that contract, you know, you're dealing with all the A&R people back in the day, and then you get the demo, uh, the demo deal, you know, where they support a demo, and then they wanna hear the demo, and then, you know, you get a deal, and then it's just the excitement of not knowing, you know, what's gonna happen tomorrow, and then getting that bit of good news uh, after a lot of days of bad news. Um, you know, it's really an exciting time, but, uh, but Times Square, WWE, the McMahons were uh, an integral part of how I became um, who I am today. Well, there, there's an interesting story right there. So there is a, a deaf, anybody that sets out in any path in entertainment, you got to be prepared for a lot of rejection. You got to grow thick skin. I know it from what I did. I mean, I remember yeah. being a kid, I was working in a hardware store and uh, I was not even in, in high school. And my local rock station in New Jersey, the the DJ came in to buy some like nails one day. And I'm like, holy shit, there's the guy I listened to. You know, I was like 15 or whatever. And I went up to him and I said, uh, hey, man, I listened to you. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I go, uh, you know, I, w- I would like to do what you do someday. How do I, you know, how do I do that? And I will never forget it, Chris. He looked at me and he said, um, not going to happen, kid. And I said, I was just like, the air came out of my balloon. I'm like, what? He goes, I just can tell you don't have it. It ain't going to happen for you. He goes, stick to the hardware store. And I was just like, nothing drives me more. Like me. Than that. <laughs> like, tell me I can't do yes. something. So even though I had an interest in radio and I had an interest in doing something in that in the music field, I was like, if I don't do anything in my life, I'm going to show that guy yes. that I can do it. And flash forward a couple of years later, I started working at that radio station and not by design because I'm not malicious in this way, but I ended up taking a shift really? a couple of years Did after he that. know you were the kid and at the I, hardware store? I, I, yes, because we knew each other, but yes, he did. <laughs> but it was just one of these deals where like, you know, it's a, it's smaller market radio. So he yeah. was working weddings on the weekend. It wasn't like, a, but it was just like, for me, that was like the first thing. And I know you've got you've to gotta really work and have that drive. And we've only been friends for a short period of time. But I could pick up immediately when I met you that, that even still now, with all the success you have, two shows currently going here in Vegas every night, you still have that drive. You don't, you're not letting up on that pedal, are you? No, not until I want to retire. I got to be number one always. Uh, life is death without change. That's my motto, and I live by that. And I change, and I adapt, 
Um, and I just got a new TV series coming out. Yeah, congrats. CW. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, Magic with the Stars. So we're going to have rock stars. We're going to have some really athletes, UFC fighters. I'm going to take two people uh, in the same industry and put them to the test. And it's going to be a blast. It's some, nothing like it on television. CW picked it up. It was a show I was shopping. And uh, it comes out, uh, what is it? Uh, I think it's October 16th. A Saturday night will be on at 8 o'clock. So I got a bunch of projects going on. And uh, Kablip, my restaurant. And, uh, you know, I just, well, I wanna, I'm, always, get, I'm wanna, always working. Yeah, man. you are. Because <laughs> you told me you only sleep for a couple hours and all that. But I want to get into all these projects and stuff. But I, I want to go back to the early years and you talk about you starting out in, in magic and on the street with the flyers and begging or finding a place that'll let you do your thing and perform all very similar things to what a rock musician does trying to get started, trying to find a believer, find a record label, find a manager, find a bill of coin at that time, get that break, get that opportunity. Um, you had, early on in your career, such a love of rock music as well, that you actually walked that line at the same time. Like you one day were out there, Chris Angel, hey, give me a break from my magic, but also with a demo tape yep. saying, hey, I want to be a rock guy too. Talk a little bit about that. Talk about the influence of magic and rock music for you as a kid and how you kind of chased both until you and, and you, you told me who gave you the advice to go yeah. hey, do the magic route. It was a guy that I know is a yeah. legendary figure in the music industry. Yeah. But talk a little bit about like growing up and having that equal love of the two things. Well, I grew up, you know, on pop culture, MTV, you know, hard rock. And uh, I just, you know, I just love um, that whole world. It was so attractive. Kiss, you know, we talked about that. And I, um, I wanted to do that. And I, uh, I studied, I actually been doing music longer than magic. I started playing drums when I was six. I took 10 years of drum lessons. And then I realized, well, I can't be stuck behind a kit because I'm too big of a ham. I want to be in the front. Right. You know, I'm going to be the front man. Right. So I, I, I came up with this idea. I'm going to do magic and music together. And I started playing in clubs. I put together a band in the 80s. Um, there's some really embarrassing uh, footage out there of that, <laughs> and um, it's quite terrible. But you got to be what bad in order called? to be good. It was Chris Angel, you know, oh, just under your by, own name. Yeah, just under my own name. And uh, and I shot music videos, and uh, and I started playing the clubs. You know, I would play, you know, Lemours. Um, you played Lemours? Um, yes. Oh uh, my God, I lived um, in Lemours. Um, Limelight. Uh, 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 Frank Cariola's, whatever that was called. Oh, the chance! Uh, I don't was remember. It? It was no, Zone not the DK chance. In New York City, Sundance, Sundance, um, Sparks. Um, uh, I, I used to play all those, all those places. Now, were you out front at this point, or yeah. you're still behind the kit? So no, no, no. I was. I never played out in back of, in back of a kit. So you were I the was, singer. I was the singer, and I would do like magic. So you'd be like watching me on stage, and next thing you know, I'd be behind you, and it would trip people out. But um, it needed a lot of time to develop. And I, you know, I was pursuing record deals. Jim Lewis, at the time, he was at Polygram. I know these people, And then yeah. uh, Jason uh, Flom over at Atlantic, then Lava, Craig Kalman, uh, Lee Lust at Capitol Records. I don't know. You know so these I know people, most of these yeah, people. All, yeah, all yeah. of these people. And I was pursuing it and pursuing it. Got a couple of demo deals. Um, I worked with a guy named Randy Cantor. 
um, in Pennsylvania. I went to uh, a studio, Rough House Records, out there, and I recorded some tracks there. Um, Were you singing? I was. And are you a good singer? Uh, then no, <laughs> and and probably still not. But uh, but it, but but all that experience um, really helped me on stage because when you see my show, it's like a concert, right? And people love it. They don't sit their asses down. Everybody's up. The excitement, the energy. You know, it's just much more of that attitude. So I was able to create that music, and then do what I do, and it came because. Back then, I really wanted to do music. I really wanted to do magic. I tried to put them together, and no one did that. There was no road to follow. I was kind of creating my own path, and, um, and it's much more difficult to do that. You know, if you look at the 80s or the 90s, and you look at, look at music, you see a band come out, and it becomes huge, and then every label wants to copy that band, right? right? And it's just cut and paste, cut and paste, cut and paste. Well, there was no one doing what I was doing. Yeah, I was going to say, so, I, don't, I don't know of anyone who's ever combined magic and rock. It, there's certainly been theatrical bands, yeah, obviously Alice Kiss, Cooper. Alice Cooper. Yeah, yeah. But, but nobody's Angel. really... Well, Angel, which I was going to hit you with, actually, but, but nobody's actually done, like, where you're saying within the context of the show, maybe there's a big open, like Angel, for people that don't know Angel, Angel was like, they had a thing. Did you ever see them? Because no. I never did either. No, no. No, I, you're saying I, no. no. But they had a thing where they appeared and disappeared in these boxes, yeah, right? Like Spinal Tap. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> did you ever see footage of Angel doing it? No, I just remember seeing their logo, which I thought was cool because you could flip it upside down right. and it still said Angel. Right. But it had no relationship to me. My name was derived from a guy named James Randy. I had a Brookhaven public access show on Long Island that went to about 80,000 homes and I wanted the experience like you um, to do a television show and I wanted to do something cool so I called it Hot Kicks which was you know the 80s back in the day I had black and blue uh, on which was Tommy Tommy and yeah, Jamie St. James yeah, 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 yeah. Tommy yeah. and then I had uh, I had um, uh, a band called Reckless um, was on remember the name I think yeah, they were on they Atlantic had, like, Reckless No Frills there was yeah. a song and then I had I did a thing uh, with Poison I think um, back in the day and some magicians and stuff so it was like a so wait this show. was like a public access TV show yes. yeah like Wayne's World you have the footage <laughs> um, I you want to hear something really sad that would be awesome if you had like Poison I, on I, a show I, like that I had the footage and you know I have a 60,000 square foot studio and I have a vault in there and you know, as you get older, you start thinking about life very differently. And I have three children now. And I was like, what are they going to do? They're not going to, no one, if, when I pass on, no one's going to know what to do with this stuff. And some of it's embarrassing. So I went in there, I hired a company to come in, and I spent three months cleaning and throwing out 22 dumpsters worth of old tricks, old things I had, sets, tapes. I, and it's the craziest thing because I was at Paul Stanley's birthday party and Tommy said to me, he's like, we were talking about it, you know, that he was on the show, Black and Blue. And I went to Lamores to go shoot that segment. And uh, he was like, I'd love to see that. And I went just recently looking for it and I was, I threw everything out. Oh. Everything I threw, I have like, you know, I don't have anything with him or I just have like, you know, 
two or three minutes from other shows because I was embarrassed of my past. Now I'm not. I celebrate it. I'm in, I, you know, I kind of uh, embrace it because it made me who I am. I've learned everything from doing it. I, I never was taught. I never went to school. I, I just did it. And, um, you know, it, 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 it served me pretty well considering a Mystica now just opened up at, uh, at um, Planet Hollywood. Mind Freak is the number one show in Vegas. Um, best-selling show, you talk about average ticket prices. You know, we, 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 um, it's crazy, like, how it evolved and transformed into the show to see. And, um, and now with the TV series, so it's like a lot of different things. So I say to anybody listening to this, whatever your dream is, you got to live it. With life without a dream is not living. You got to live every moment like it's your last because you don't know how many moments you're going to have. And so many people do what they hate. They go to a job that they hate. They're doing things. No job is perfect, but you got to do what you love. Yeah. And for me, since I was a kid, I always wanted to do rock and roll. I always wanted to do entertainment. Uh, and so I was blessed like you to be able to find my little niche that served me well. But you got to work at it. You got to have that drive. You got, it's not, it's not going to be handed to you. It's not, I mean, that, that, that I think is the common thing of people that achieve these goals is that they don't, they don't, when there's rejection, they don't coil in the corner and uh, feel bad for themselves. They, they it inspires them to it work harder you. and fuels them. Yes, because that's certainly what it did to me, and I can tell that's in you. Because even even from those earliest years to even now, with all this success you have, these two shows and the warehouse and the, everything you got going on, TV shows and what have you, you're still. I I, it, I work harder at 54 years old today than I did when I was 20, 30, 40 years old. It is easier to get to the destination than to remain there. And if you want to be the most relevant at what you do, you got to work harder. You see so many bands that come out, they have one song and they kind of fall by the wayside. And then you have these bands that are around and have been around for decades. It's because they work hard. They don't rest on what they did yesterday. They don't, they don't do it. I never did this because of the lifestyle or because of money. I did it out of passion, you know, and I put the sweat equity in because it was something that I wanted, not for the reasons that some people want success. When you, when you get success, you go out and you buy 50 cars, which I did, and motorcycles and this, and you realize it doesn't make you happy. And you realize that in Vegas, the batteries die out. <laughs> so you Quickly. realize that that, that, that that doesn't really make you happy. And so for me, it's really about achieving goals and about giving back to our community here in Vegas to my son had pediatric cancer. So it's about giving back to Cure for the Kids, Make-A-Wish of Southern Nevada, about doing things that are positive, using my success to help others. But, um, you know, that's what I really um, found for me that's fulfilling. I want to talk about some of that charity stuff too, because that's important. And I know that's actually having seen both of your shows. I know that's also in the show itself. And I think that's amazing that you do that and you, 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 uh, you know, you get the word out on that. We'll touch on some of that stuff as well. Cause Chris does some great charitable stuff. Uh, I can tell you in the age of YouTube, those shows that you did back in the day, somebody recorded them. <laughs> somebody put them on VHS, and somebody listening right now may right now be digitizing it and uploading it to YouTube because there's stuff that I, I'm terrible keeping our archives of stuff. Right. And I've got nearly 40 years of radio and TV now, 
and it, I literally have these bins stacked in my basement in Jersey, and much of it is unlabeled in what formats it. It's in, it's on DAT, it's yeah. on mini disc, it's on cassette, cassette <laughs> of tons of cassettes. It's on VHS, yeah. it's on laser disc, it's on, and I, God knows how I'm gonna, what I'm gonna do, or how I could transcribe it, or whatever. And I don't have the time, right? So I've got this this wall, and behind it are just these. I mean, there's interviews in there with people that I did, like, uh, you know, I've got an interview, Metallica, when nobody knew who they Amazing. were, or uh, I got interviews with the guys in Skid Row saying, yeah, we're bringing this new guy down from Canada called Sebastian, we're going to try him out. All that stuff in context to listen to now is so cool, you yes. know? And I'd love to do something with it, but I don't have the time to dig into it. Um, but I know a lot of times when I call that stuff out, I will hear from uh, somebody and they're like, yeah, I got it. And the next thing you know, it's up. it'll be up on YouTube. All right, well, let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. That would be awesome to see. You, oh, see my, my hair was like up to here. It was the craziest thing. Listen, um, it was a crazy time and it taught me because I used to direct my own videos. I used to do my own thing and, you know, it. Oh my God! <laughs> what is this? What's he playing? Oh, I don't. Joel's is, great at sourcing yeah. stuff. Did he find an old song of yours? Joel, what is it? This is um, it's Mind Freak from the Mind, Mind Freak music video. Yeah. Oh, oh, I thought he uh, found something. Uh, I want, I want some of the back in the I'm day looking, Chris I'm Angel looking. music. No, 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 no. <laughs> we don't need to find. That. You okay. said you embrace the past. Come on, Chris. <laughs> I do. But I want to go back to so if people have seen a Mystica, which I got to tell you, man. I mean, watching it, checking it out, it really is the most exciting show in Vegas. It's incredible what you're doing in that, and. Uh, I, I I really immediately connected to it watching it because it opens with you like a scene like your bedroom and you've got two posters on the wall. You've got Kiss Destroyer. I think it's Destroyer cover. Yep. Mm -hmm. And you've got a Houdini uh, poster. Mm -hmm. Safe to say those were the two biggest influences as a kid for you? Absolutely, yeah. So what was your? what was the first time you saw Kiss live? God, live, it wasn't until later. I used to like get videos, you know, bootlegs and all, all types of videos of them. Uh, and then obviously, you know, MTV had a plethora of Kiss videos and, you know. But the non-makeup stuff, that was later. So you didn't see the No, the I, no I, I was into the makeup. Yeah. I was into the makeup. So I, I used to get like magazines and, you know, their albums. But I didn't see them. I saw them like Cotton Shade, or you know that album. But then I saw them later. But I had a collection of videos of of them in makeup back in the day. How did you? So you're you're a couple years younger than me. Yeah. My first Kiss show was Kiss at the Garden '77. Wow. December '77. I was 13, and that was my first show ever. And you would have been around that time, like 11 or 12. So. And then there was Dynasty a couple of years later, which would have put you in the same zone. Mm -hmm. Why did you not uh, being a? Were you not a fan yet, or did you not no, have the opportunity? No, I was a fan. Go? I got. I got my. Was it a thing like your parents were exactly not down with it? My my brother, my oldest brother JD, had the uh, the 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 uh, Kiss Alive, you know the the live album, and right. and I would look at that and open it up and see the smoke plums and the fire and it mesmerized me and i wanted to see them so i would get magazines you know at, at that time kiss had like magazines they would put out comic books it back in like probably i would say the late 70s right 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 and um but i didn't get a chance to see them so i would see like friends would have like videos and i would 
see glimpses and little footage of what they did. And it was just, you know, you could hear when you listen to that live album with the explosions and all the things that were baked in there, it just was so exciting. Yeah. So I think a lot of that really was imagination. You know, nowadays everything's there in front of you. Right. Right. So your imagination is not there. Your imagination is far greater than anything, any movie you'll ever see. You create things in your mind that are much grander. So for me, I was creating these images by seeing pictures and just kind of listening and listening to the songs and, uh, it just um, really captured, you know, my attention, and I wanted to see them. But my parents, I was, you know, I was too young, and uh, but eventually I did see them, see them, you know, L- later. But later. Th- that's that's a really interesting point, and I'm sure it ties into what you do in magic and illusion. Is that you, is imagination? That that's something I never thought about till you said it. Because I go back to being a kid listening to a record like Kiss Alive, and all you're having is the audio experience, right? Yep. There, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a YouTube. You couldn't nope. go online. You couldn't pull up the show like you can now. Hey, let's see what they're doing before I go. So in my mind, those bombs went off in that recording, and I had this visual of like I'm seeing the smoke bombs going up. Exactly. I'm like I'm wondering, like so, my mind created what a Kiss show was before I even actually saw one, and that's a really like powerful thing that maybe people don't have that experience anymore no i remember looking at dress to kill and seeing them in new york city with suits on and every time my dad would take me to pennsylvania with my family i'd be looking in the streets for kiss you know i remember listening to aerosmith toys in the attic and i i love that album and i never saw them live but my imagination and i would imagine and i would see pictures and i would kind of put it together nowadays everything is like has a lifespan of a gnat because people are have information overload Kids today can process information at a much higher rate. Back then, people would get three hour, three years out of an album, yeah. two years out of an album. Now you get like, what's the single? And that lasts for five minutes. So back then, to me, you know, it was a completely, I'm happy that I didn't experience their live show when I was that young, because for me, my imagination and how I perceived it, and you know, if there was smoke coming out of a sewer in our neighborhood, I would pretend to be Paul Stanley or Gene Simmons with the smoke. Like, right. that's the types of things that I did. And if you look at people that generally are really successful, those are the people that use their imagination as a kid tremendously Wayne Gretzky what did he used to do when he walked watched a hockey game he would have a blank piece of paper he'd have a pencil and he'd follow the puck the entire game on his paper to see where the puck went like unorthodox things like that so for me I think a lot of how I grew up and how my imagination really provoked and fueled me was unorthodox maybe for today but back then for me it was it was totally normal oh totally I mean I I used to uh as a little kid, I would sit in my bedroom, which was covered in nothing but kiss, kiss posters, same thing. ceiling, wall, everything. It was a big moment for me because when, uh, for, for, and you can relate to this. I was, when you're that young and you, and something so special to you as kiss was to me, it was my whole world. I'm mm-hmm. 12, 13 years old, my whole world, any other band, to me was not viewed as, hey, let me check them out. They could be a threat to the greatness of Kiss. Right. So I wouldn't let anybody in like any other bands. And even though friends would say like, hey, check out this band or that band. 
And then it was like a big day for me that I was realized I was evolving and opening up a little bit because I took a little, made a little space on the wall and I put the Aerosmith live bootleg poster up. Mm -hmm. And Aerosmith was the first thing that infiltrated the whole sanctum of kiss (laughs) that I was on in there. And for me, it's crazy because like I would listen to those records and I had, I'll never forget this. I had a TV that uh, back in those days, a TV was a TV. It was a big box, right? And it had one of those antennas that telescoped out. That was my mic stand when I was listening to Kiss Alive playing air guitar. You know, you'd sing. So all those moments and that imagination, I would listen to that. And I was up there playing Got to Choose and Deuce, and it was me. And then the real head fuck for me is here I am. I see Kiss 77. Less than 10 years later, and I got the photo, I'm in a lawyer's office, an ent- entertainment lawyer in New York with my first job working for a record label, signing Ace Freely, the wow. guy that nine years ago at 13, I'm seeing at the garden, and I was just with Ace last week. So it's crazy how, like you said earlier, you you put the the drive in, the work in, and sure, you lucky you get a break or two along the way, yeah. and you can really realize some of this stuff. Like, who would think me as this kid listening to Ace's solo in 100,000 years, and here I am there. signing him to his first deal <laughs> after Kiss, like nine years later. It's surreal. It really is when you think about it. But it is about that drive and that passion, and that's I, I picked up on that so quickly. And we us being from the same area, it's, it's remarkable we didn't know each other back in the day. I mean, even Lemoore's. I grew up... War- God, I lived in Lemoore's. And uh, Lemoore's was, a for people that don't know, was a legendary rock club in Brooklyn where the headliner would go on at like one thirty in the morning <laughs> and you walked out and you really hoped your car was still there at four when you left. But did you perform there? You I said? did. I actually, <laughs> you know, the Parenti yeah. brothers, George and Mike. Uh, no, no, no. It wasn't like that. It was, it was, it was like, I used to go and perform anywhere I can get an opportunity. So believe it or not, back in the day, because I was doing magic and had this like unique act, I'd get, people from all different music genres asked me to open up for them. So I had, this is a true story, and it's not the genre of music that we're in the world of, but there was a band called um, Brenda K. Star. Yeah, R&B, like a disco thing, right? TKA, Latin Rascals, these all these types of acts back in the day. And it was a kind of like cameo, you know, like that, that type of music. Now, Mark Anthony... And I, Mark Anthony, the, the Latin singer, singer, the right? huge Latin singer right. that's whatever. He and I were playing at Lemoore's together. He had, he was playing in the band of this Brenda K. Star. Wait, what year are you talking? Oh, God, I, I don't even know. This had to be, uh, um, oh, God, late. Late in the 80s, 87, 88. I don't remember Lamore's doing anything no, but heavy metal. No, no, they did. They did. This was on like, like I guess a certain type of night or whatever. But Mark Anthony didn't play the bass guitar. He didn't even. He didn't even have a plugged in. He was a guy. He was managed by this guy Juan Toro, who I was trying to get to manage me, and we were friends. And I opened up doing this magic act, and he played bass guitar, air guitar, essentially, for this singer. Um, And it's the crazy, like you talk about worlds coming full circle. You know, we laugh about that. Like, you know, when I talk to him, it's like we keep on reliving that because those were the magical days. When I used to play the rock clubs like L'Amour's, 
I did it as a magician with rock. I use like Van Halen. I use like music like that. But uh, but Long Island, the Limelight. Um, Sunday night it, was the Webster, big night at the Webster, Limelight. Yeah, Webster Hall. But Sunday night was the Rock and Roll Church night. Did yes. you do that? I did not do that. Yeah, no. that was the night that was like crazy in there. I went there a yeah. couple times. I did. Um, I played with uh, with my band in Ended the Magic at. Uh, they used to do spots at Webster Hall, and it was a big, big club, beautiful stage. Webster the, Hall was the Ritz, yeah, then later yes. became the Ritz. Yeah. So yeah. I I um I used to perform. I have video of that. Um, which is actually, it's actually pretty cool. The audience was going crazy. It was great. Um, but yeah, I used to, you know, play Long Island clubs all the time. It was a big, you know, live band, um, you know, time back then. Now it's like, yeah, it's gone. Talk about the decision. So in your career, at some point you reach a crossroads where you, you're 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 trying to do the magic thing and the rock thing and combine them and together but then you reach a point where it's just like you get some advice to say you know what man yeah you're pretty good at the music thing but you re- go after the magic thing you told me this the other day yeah. when we talked where i think it's jason, jason flom basically said you could maybe be like those guys in vegas Siegfried and roy <laughs> yeah he says but but a cooler version with your own music right and so talk about that moment because was that difficult for you to kind of have to maybe back burner the rock thing and admit okay i'm i'm the 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 the, the better path for me right now might be the magic well you know Magic and music was something I did since I was a kid, so I love both of them. I try to do it collectively together with the band, and I started discovering I was I, I, as I was getting older that you know music was very fickle. You know, music trends change. What was popular is not popular the next day. And then Jason Flom said to me, "You know, those dudes that are in Vegas have been doing the same thing for how many decades with the Tigers, and they make a gazillion dollars." Yeah. And and he's like, "You should do that." you know, you should focus more on that and have your music be a part of that. And, you know, I was kind of still doing both, but then I, I said, you know what, I'm going to f- be hyper-focused. I did an MTV uh, two-hour special, which was called MTV Music Video Secrets Exposed and uh, with Matt Pinfield. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I did uh, with, um, with the Misfits, um, we did uh, Lunch with Jesse. In Jesse Jersey. Camp. Yes. I remember Jesse, yeah. the tall guy. Yeah. Hey, Chris, what's going? He's still around. <laughs> yeah, so we did, uh, uh, and, and Jerry uh, was, still, was still friends. Wait, no, it wasn't it. Jesse Camp. Je- was no, it was Jesse, Jesse. Camp? Jesse Camp, yes. Yeah, remember yeah. his last name, yeah, Lang- yeah. Very skinny. Very tall, skinny yeah, guy, yeah, yeah. yeah, very, yeah. But, um, so I, I just said, you know, I'm going to go for it. So I started really just focusing. Then I played Madison Square Garden. They had a Halloween attraction called Madison Scare Garden back in the 90s. I remember that. And I did uh, 600 shows in like 12 days, 11 days. I did like these 14-minute acts. And so I was like the last attraction. Um, the headlining attraction for this that uh, had to thing. be a major thing though for oh, you as a crazy. guy from New York. Yeah, I did. I to did play that. the garden. Well, yeah, it was it was incredible, and it you know I was doing like sixty shows up to sixty shows a day. It was it was taxing to say the least. But I had uh, the music, the CDs we were selling the Angel Dust CDs, which was myself and Circle of Dust, Clayton and I uh, had a band that we called it Angel Dust. We did all the music and we performed in this uh, makeshift theater, if you will. And it was great. And then after that, um, I kind of went my direction. He went his direction. And today we still do music together. He's a great guy and very talented. 
But uh, then I saw this opportunity at WWE, and this is in 2001. And I also thought the McMahon's WWE, maybe I could use that as a platform because they had a Monday Night Raw. They had television shows and still do every week. And so um, it made sense. So I really hyper-focused on that. I got $360,000 alone against my mom's house. Wow. Which everybody thought we were insane. And uh, I was very fiscally responsible and put together this show called Mind Freak, which I had no manager, no producer. I did everything. And uh, the show was supposed to run for like 12 weeks. We ran it for 14 months, did over 600 shows. It um, gave me the opportunity to get two... uh, actually three television specials, one in Japan on their on a, a Tokyo Broadcasting, and then I had one on Sci-Fi, and then one on, um, on the, uh, what was it called, the um, Fox uh, Family Network or whatever, I forgot what it was called, but right. back in the day, it's changed now. And uh, it really launched my career. Then I met my manager uh, from the firm, Dave Barham, and well, then, I met the other time. Yeah, I was here. yeah, they managed Corn. Yeah, and, you know, at the time, every everybody, Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese, and and so uh, you know, he was like, you know, if you're willing to chop your hair, because my hair was down to my thigh, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, it's a funny Skid Row story. Uh, 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 Sebastian Bach about that. I, he was at Webster Hall or something like that, and at, at one time, he'll tell the story. I met him. And, uh, you know, Sebastian Bach, you know, cover Rolling Stone and big Skid Row is enormous. And uh, I met him back in the day and I was like, hey, I'm a magician. I did a couple of tricks. I was trying to get him to like help me out. But it, but he was very cool. And, uh, and to this day, he comes to my shows and, and we have a great relationship. But like, it's crazy how you were saying before about Ace Freely, how it kind of goes full circle. Right. And now I have Sebastian Bach coming to my show right, at right. Planet Hollywood and just going crazy for it. And he came to Luxor and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it's, it's um, very interesting how your passion and, and what you want and what you dream can actually manifest and be realized with time. And it's never on your timetable. It's when it's supposed to happen. But you have to put that time in. And so Madison Square Garden um wwe were all stepping stones it was never one big break you know how bands say it's it's right it was never for me one big break it was a series of things and then the mind freak series just went nuts your your uh, parents needless to say were supportive of your endeavors given that they let you leverage their house against your career basically that's yes. a big, big move. My, I mean, my pop passed away in 98, but my dad and my mom and my brothers were all, they used to help me unload the equipment going into the club spit on Long Island, all these clubs, and they would help me and they would support me. And, uh, and so, yeah, my mom said, you know, if you really believe in this and you think you can make it happen, I said, look, mom, if this fails, I'll get 10 jobs to pay it back. I'm not going to leave the debt, you know, uh, w- with you or you know, my brothers. So I, I did it. I went for it. And it was a big risk, you know, yeah. especially after 9-11. You're talking about 2001. You know, it was like uh, I opened, I think it was in November or October. Um, it was a really big risk. And I did it. Um, and I failure is not an option. You know, for some people, some people, like you say, coil back. And for me, it's the complete antithesis. You know, when something doesn't go, I'll figure out 
And like I say, life is death without change. You got to be nimble and you got to be willing to be flexible and, you know, change paths. You can't be stuck in your ways. Just like I am on uh, during a live show. You know, when you're doing a live show, anything that can go wrong eventually does go wrong. The fire alarm will go off. There'll be a fight in the audience, you know, some drunk, per- like something doesn't work. You just got to roll with it. And you got to get good at really uh, improving. And you have to improv too with, with, your career and your life and, and how you deal with, you know, adversity and challenges. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely, um, what you've done with these two shows is incredible. Again, for people listening, if you come to Vegas, Chris is doing two show currently doing, uh, two shows back to back. How many nights a week? Well, it's five nights a week. I'm in mind freak. So if you want to see me and you want to see a crazy evening of the craziest illusions, whether it be levitating, flying around, or vanishing, appearing, doing close-up magic, that's all in Mind Freak, like the television series, but live. Um, and then a Mystica, we present that at 9.30. Which just opened recently. Yeah. And I'm not in that show, uh, but I created that show. And this show, and Franco Dragon, the guy that created Cirque du Soleil, this is the show to see. Uh, Mind Freak and then a Mystica. We get people that see both shows, you know, on the same night or two different nights. But a Mystica, if you like Cirque or you like any of the shows out here, this is like the best Cirque show to ever see. Well, I saw it. I was at the. You were nice enough to invite me to the premiere, and as I said, it was it's 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 incredible because. Even the way the show opens, I mean that the wind. I mean, you're you're in it in that show. It's immersive. It's immersive. It has but- a tornado in it. It has a blizzard in it. <laughs> it's it has, a train. And yeah, it's 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 the crazy. A guy's on fire. Yeah, like literally on fire for like two minutes. Now, when I saw it the opening night, the you were in it. For some, yes, I did you, it as a special. As that was a opening, not no more. No. Okay, yeah, because yeah. that would. I we talked about that in your dressing room. Yeah. I was like, you're gonna kill yourself, man, doing two shows like that back to back. But the beauty of that, if you've now, uh, you and Franco have branded it and produced it and put it out there now, is I would think that you can then take that and put it into because you have a following all over the world. You yeah. can actually repurpose it and put it out in other places where you can't obviously. Even though you're great at magic, you can't be two places at once. So that's the way to do it, right? Yes, um, yes. This show is uh, this show will be a Mystica uh, by Franco Dragon and myself will be in Vegas for at least ten years. This show is really building a great fan base, um, and it probably will be an incarnation of it somewhere because I have people always coming to me. I have bands coming to me asking me to direct videos and direct shows and create shows. So, um, Have you ever done that for a rock band? Because you know, going back to Angel, I don't know if it's true, but there was a story that I think it was Doug Henning back then built their illusion of appearing and disappearing, that they consulted with somebody big in magic at that time. Did you have you ever worked on bands uh, staging and production and illusions? Well, it's uh, it's kind of funny that you say that because James Randi, who was uh, worked as a consultant for Alice Cooper, he now he real quickly on that he went by the name the Amazing Randy, Randy right? Correct. Now I just watched a documentary on him that came out a few years ago. Yes, and his deal, if I'm correct in this, was he was big into debunking. Yes, the psychics st- and stuff mediums. that was out. right. That was a big po- the the documentary that uh, was done on him is actually I'm working with that guy who did it now on a rock documentary coming out. But that was his kind of deal, right? He was big in debunking the 
the, the psychics, psychics and the people he kind of took over faith from, healers from from harry houdini houdini spent a good portion of his life debunking people and when houdini died um basically james randy like kind of took that baton and ran with it and he did that he passed away you know obviously um but uh but yes he worked with alice cooper yes he did he worked with alice cooper on the head chopping and on a lot of the different guillotine, things yeah. the guillotine and stuff um and and for me i uh i um never really did it specifically for like i like kiss paul stanley and doc mcgee and gene simmons uh, are very very uh, good friends of mine and anything i can do to help them i i'm always there for so they asked me one time to look at this upcoming tour and give them some recommendations so they sent me um some concert footage that they did and they wanted me to kind of give them some thoughts and some creative directions and stuff and i did and um and they did a great job with it they originally wanted me to get involved really uh, you know directing and stuff like that but i was opening my show at the time and it was impossible to to do it within a time frame but um um yeah i mean uh arrow smith which was going to just rehearse in my studio which they just um, yeah, postponed. Steven, yeah, yeah, they postponed. It was supposed to be loading in tomorrow. Um, uh, you know, Stephen had reached out to me about maybe doing something. Um, you know, for the end of the show. Um, so you know, just kind of dabbling. But um, you know, for me right now, I have so many different things going on yeah. <laughs> that I'm trying to like 24 hours in a day yeah, is not of enough. Um, it's it's kind of rough, but um, if the right project came along, you know, I would certainly um, certainly consider it because um, you know I, I think that uh, you know magic has been used in pop and in rock, but but from a different perspective, when you have a consultant, they don't really understand that culture and the music, and they don't understand what it's like to be in that perspective. You know, they're just from the outside looking, and just like a lighting designer or a videographer or you know whatever. Um, I live it. I'm guy on stage. So I understand what works and what really engages. And my imagination, going back to that word, um, I think allows me to create things that are memorable experiences that that the world of entertainment has never seen before. And I think that's why Mind Freak, you know, has played in Vegas now for what we've been. I've been in Vegas for what uh, since 2008, performing live. Mm. Um, you know, I do hundreds and hundreds of shows a year and uh, now with a Mystica. So, um, you know, I love creating. And that's why I have my studio because it's a laboratory for me to do all those things. Yeah, yeah. A few more minutes left to go in the show. We'll uh, continue to hang with Chris Angel sitting with us today and then we'll let him get back to uh, plotting world domination of the next <laughs> phase of his career. Another show or another TV thing, whatever he's got going. Let's get a call or two in real quick. Let the audience chime in a little bit. Here's Bill in Northern California. Hey, Bill, you're live on the air. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, Bill. Hey, Bill. Hey. So I went and saw the Mind Freak show, I don't know, about seven, eight years ago. And a uh, great show, by the way. And Thank you had you. this part in the show where you had a sweatband and you threw it in the crowd. And I believe you said it was on the third throw that you're going to do a trick with, with someone in the audience. So you tossed it out there. Then, of course, the third throw comes right at me, and I'm like, oh, fuck, can I try it? You know, I'm thinking, can I duck? I don't know if I want to be involved in this or not. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, you know, if I, it was going to hit me, so I had to catch it. So part of the deal was you had this box that was on a pulley way up on the stage. And yeah, and I predicted three things, right? Three things. Right. And don't, don't ask Absolutely. me now to do it on the radio, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right, but the last one was, what's your favorite number? And, you know, of course, my family knows this. It's 44, you know, sports, sports number. And you lowered the box, and sure enough, and there was a paper that had the number 44 on it. And, of course, I was baffled, and everyone around me was baffled. But then there was these three ladies off to the left of me, and they're all, you know Chris, don't you? I said, no, I don't know Chris. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. Come for we, we won't say anything. I said, no, I absolutely do not know Chris. And the one lady's all, like, you're a fucking liar. <laughs> and I said, no. I'm not. I know that was, that was for real. It's like, help me figure it out. You know, so these ladies did not believe that. You know, I didn't know you. It was funnier in hell. And then so they thought you were a plant. They thought exactly. you were a plant they in did. the audience. All right. right. So, so what? I, what your, your name's Bill, right? Bill, are you going to come to Vegas anytime soon? Absolutely. We're, All right. We're listen, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do for you, Bill, because that was my old show. You got to come to Planet Hollywood and see my new show. I'm going to set you and your girl up with two tickets. All right? No way. So, yeah, I'm going to give you two tickets to Mind Freak and two tickets to a Mystica on me. Oh, okay. Fuck. There you go. Yeah, so, so get get us your information before you get off the call. Well, I'll put you on hold. I'll and put then, them on hold. And then we'll get and then I'm gonna have uh somebody um hook this up. You're gonna let them know when you're gonna be in town and I'm gonna hook you up with a couple of tickets, Bill, okay? Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that because we were just and, and anybody, talking about and, that Saturday. We we're talking about well, that Saturday and my my son was talking about this incident and he looked at me and he's all so dad, did did you talk to Chris before the show, really? <laughs> even well, he didn't believe I, me after all these years you know he's still asking me all right, so, Bill, i'm gonna put you on hold because we want to get to some other stuff yeah here. whoever calls in right now i'm gonna give them two tickets to both my shows as a gift eddie doesn't even know i'm doing this i, no, I don't okay. know i didn't know i was gonna i want to i want to do that neither because, did our phone screener yeah, so is get, that, get is that okay <laughs> i don't know joel is it okay joel is it okay <laughs> yeah we, you know we're making it work we're gonna right, make it work. Let's there. make it work. All right. So Bill, Bill's going to get the information right now. Um, re- real quick before we take another call, the the uh, the stuff you've done and you do in magic is you know, blows people's minds. Needless to say. And you've done everything from, you know, crazy stuff with heights. And the one that I freaked out the most about is because I hate bugs. I despise bugs. I probably shouldn't tell you that now that we're friends. You'll pull some shit out of your, your, your pocket right now and freak me out. But the thing with the scorpion coming out of your mouth right. um, just freaked me beyond belief because I am I so not a fan of bugs and things like that. Um, the stuff, I'm also kind of claustrophobic. I don't like being in tight spaces. Stuff you've done. In I the- thought you were going to say the fish hooks when I hung from fish hooks from a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Not as much. <laughs> I don't like the bug stuff, and I don't like the close quarters claustrophobic. I'm in water for you're in water for a day, and all this <laughs> shit that you've done. Um, you mentioned this amazing Randy guy and how yeah. he debunked stuff and and stuff. 
where do you land on that as far as in magic? Are you a guy that will ever reveal how you do things or you don't? Like, where do you land? Like, what, what do you choose to keep, like, private? Or if I was hanging out with you one night, like, Chris, how the fuck did you do that? Would you show it? How do you, where do you, feel, how do you land on that? Depends as a how much I drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple of things. Uh, so, for one, I'm very much against people taking people's money and saying they can communicate with the dead that's taking complete advantage of people. And, um, you know, I offered a million dollars of my own money for anybody that can do that, that it couldn't be reproduced to explain how they were going to do that. Um, and I did that on television on a show I did uh, called Phenomenon uh, years ago. Um, so I'm really against that stuff. And I expose psychics and those frauds. I, what I do is entertainment, and that's, that's what I do. Um, I don't, you know... Why can you watch how a movie is made, the movie magic, and you still want to see the movie? Because there's something more to the movie than just the CGI or their movie magic. There's something more. And I'd like to think that in my shows, there's something more there. Um, you can know how to play a song. Doesn't you mean still you can do see, it. But you still go see the concert. You still right, it doesn't mean you can do it the right. same way either. So, so for me, I'm not as... Like, I have so much more to offer than, like, you know, I'm smarter than you. You don't know how to do it, and I do. Like, that attitude, like, if you want to go see that, you go, there's plenty of magicians in town that offer you nothing more than, I'm going to do a trick, and you're too stupid to know how to do it. That, to me, is belittling and not something I'm interested in. I love my audience. I embrace my audience, and it's about having a great night. I'll never have that group of people in the room ever again in the history of the world, and it's my job to give them a unique experience and not to read a teleprompter to do it. And so, to me, it depends what it is. Would I go out willing and reveal everything? No, but in occasions and situations, if I have a sick kid that has maybe three, four months to live and they want to know how I levitate, I'll show them and I'll even put them on the rig, you know, mm. like I'll do whatever I have to do. Like I, I, I don't think the secret, as Jim Steinmeier, a famous magic consultant once said, magicians have been guarded in an empty safe. And it's true. There's nothing in there. It's how you present it, how you create the magic of emotion, which has nothing to do with the trick. Magic is just my vehicle. It's about how do I connect with you and how do I engage you emotionally? It's like a song. I can go watch a Kiss concert and I hear a song like, do you love me? And what does it do? It brings me back to when I was 12 years old. Mm. Yeah, no doubt. And there's a large degree of spontaneity in your show too. The Mind Freak show, like yeah. when you call people up on stage, you can see that you're just like, you talk about anything can happen. You're, there's a degree you're flying by the seat of your pants there That's too, fun which is me. fun. Yeah it's, yeah, it's fun for the audience too yeah. because you can feel that it's very legit and honest. I got to do one more break and then we'll come back. We got a bunch more calls because of course you offered them free tickets, but... But um, my Joel is texting me that because of some legal stuff, we can't do giveaways. Oh, okay. So I don't know if we, Joel, can we give the one guy that at least Chris said the tickets? We can one name. We can't. We can't. Can. Oh, can I just have his number and I can? Joel, yeah, just give the just Chris give his me number. His he wants number. to call him and talk to him and yeah, say hello. Yeah, I want to say oh, hello yeah. to him. We'll he get said, his number. That's he'll it. say hello to the guy. Yeah, Chris yeah. will say hello to him. We'll leave it at that. I'm sorry, folks. There's all like, yeah, this, yeah. there's an insane amount of legal nonsense sometimes well i'll do that let me just do this for you for your fans you get tickets to both shows 
and I'll do a free meet and greet with there you. There you go. There you go. Um, but the last thing before we come back, and we will still take some calls, is um, the moment in your career of all the crazy shit you've done that was the most, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better term, because you don't strike me as a guy that gets scared, but the one that was the most on the edge where you felt most in danger. Well, it's hard because I've done over a thousand demonstrations just on Is there one where something alone. went south well, or you're well, like, this ain't going he, the right the thing, way? When I, I just give you a couple, I'll ramble through a couple of things. So when I levitated over uh, the Luxor, Jesus, uh, 520 even. something feet, um, we couldn't test that. And, you know, people at that time had cell phones and it was shooting things. And so we kind of went for it. But it was it was the moment, you know, when I'm in a room like this and I'm creating stuff and I have a, a think tank going on and I'm writing and creating, um, it all sounds great. But then when you're out there alone, <laughs> 520 something feet up there and the wind and the lighting and, you know, there's little malts and bats and around you and you're like, shit, if I fall, I'm dead. Another time, Planet Hollywood, I had to walk down Planet Hollywood, the yeah. wall. It was 30-mile it was power winds. And at the time, I was the executive producer. I had to produce that segment no matter what because if I didn't, I would have lost the money for the camera crew and everybody there. So I, would have had to, I would have always have to make lemonade out of lemons. So I had to basically, secretly, without anybody know, I had my brother tie a rope onto my ankle while I was walking on the ledge and he stayed out of the shot and see, I'm giving a secret away and I was walking on the ledge and the police and fire trucks started arriving because somebody said there was a jumper. So even though I was still going to do my bit, I got stopped because of the cops. And I had explained, no, this is part of a TV show and yada, 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 hanging by the fish hooks. First time I tried to do that by the helicopter, I had no pain medicine, um, no pain numbers, nothing. And essentially, I went up. I had to come down because I thought I was going to throw up because the skin separates from the bone. Ugh. And then I, uh, I went up. And then I didn't realize when we planned it out that I had to have a second. The second helicopter with the camera would create turbulence for me. So I'm flying from one helicopter on the bottom while another helicopter is next to me shooting me and it the wind is just making my skin bounce up and ah. down so the pain was excruciating so there's like a lot of things that i can talk about when you about. went in the alive. tank when you went in the tank of water for 24 hours yes. you landed in the hospital out of that right yes yes cuz what I, happened what happened there well it wasn't like a major hospital thing what happened was is my skin was depleted because it never was done prior i was like the guinea pig and i didn't have money to test this stuff out i jumped in my neighbor's pool for 12 <laughs> hours and then the chlorine got to me and then I jumped in this thing and my oils got depleted and I was I was just in agony my skin so I went to the I went to the hospital to figure out what was wrong and they just figured that you were basically depleted and they replenished that and uh lo and behold I was fine but um yeah I I've done a lot of a lot of really really crazy demonstrations I buried in cement which killed a guy tried to do that he got Joe Burris I believe his name was and sadly he died his his coffin collapsed and he died instantly <sighs> so I did that I did that actually one time with Rob Zombie hosting it Rob Zombie hosted me being buried alive and we shot it in California but uh, but we had yeah lot lots of different really cool artists involved. I got and lots I got of a, stories. I got to hit a break. Um, but I'm just curious. 
I talk a lot about rock musicians as they get older and how they have to scale back what they do or they can't do stuff like they used to and they, they have to change the way they do it or retire in some cases. You're, you're still, um, you said you're 54, right? I am. And you're, st- you're, you're, you're in great shape and all of that. But do you see a point, even at this point in your career, where you're, there's some of this stuff that you're talking about that physically, you're like, I may not be able to do that one anymore? When I, when I can't do... Listen, the audiences spend a lot of money. They come to Vegas. They want to see me. I got to deliver 100%. If I can't do it, then I shouldn't be on stage. Will you retire so the... I'll retire, when, retire when, 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 when I can't do it. Now I still hang upside down. I'm over the audience's heads. I fire. and It's a very physical, very athletic show. I got to keep myself in shape. And I give audiences 100%. I sweat my ass off. Yeah, and I'm grateful. And I'm, I, I just never take anyone for, for granted because that audience made me your listeners made me who I am and I afford this lifestyle because they come and support me and I'm very grateful and I want to give them the best experience when it comes to live entertainment you can possibly have in Las Vegas don't waste your money anywhere else come see me I'll deliver yeah and it's very rock and roll you guys know I the other show that I sent everybody to in the last year or so was Carrot Top, who I love, who does he's something funny. totally different. Yeah, and he's I saw a funny him. Guy, yeah. He's funny as yeah, hell. He's, he's been mine, doing Scotty. it forever. Friend of mine as well. Yeah. He's so good at what he does. And I was blown away by him, his comedy, and it's so rock and roll. And he's like us. He's got the Aerosmith logo on his stage, yep. and he's so into yeah. it. And all the people I sent there, like, you're right. It's comedy, but it's super, super rock and roll. Because that's what my audience is. And yeah. I'm telling you guys, magic and illusion. Uh, needless to say, I mean, Chris has been doing it forever. He's a legend Gene, in that Gene world. Gene Simmons, but. Paul Stanley will tell you it's the best show in Vegas. And and they have seen it. Paul has seen it many times. Gene just came and spent two days with me. He just saw it. And he went. He just, you could watch it on my Instagram. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's it's, it's the history. Skid Row, uh, you know, the, Sebastian was just there. Yeah, for sure. All right, a couple quick calls here, and then we got to wrap up. We got five minutes left to go. Here's Samantha in New Jersey. Hey, Samantha, you're on with Chris Angel. Hi, how are you? How you doing, hey, guys? Good. Good. Hi, how are you guys? Good. What'd you want to say? So I was there back in March uh, for the preview of Mystica, and uh, I was with my friends Karen and Kathy and Amy and uh, a couple other people. I just want to say that the show was fantastic, and uh, Karen and I are actually coming back out uh, June 17th for my birthday, so we're seeing both shows, and uh, I haven't seen a Mystica since, so I'm just, I am so excited to see it again because the show was just absolutely fantastic, and uh, it was amazing. Well, thank you so much. I uh, certainly appreciate that very much. Thanks, Samantha. And thank you, Samantha. Thank you, guys. All right, take care. Uh, here's Anthony, also in New Jersey. Hey, Ant, what what do you got? Hi, Anthony. Uh, hi, Eddie. Hi, hi, Chris. Hey, how are you, Anthony? Good. I, I really just wanted to say how inspirational you are, not just you know as a person, but as a, a philanthropist you know, with your Johnny Christopher Foundation. Um, my friend Karen turned me on to you um, and, and everything you do outside of, you know, the stage and with your family. Um, she's raised and her students raised so much money for your foundation um, in New York City. Um, so I really just want to, you know, say thank you for everything you do for those kids that, that need help. 
Well, I certainly appreciate that. And Karen, if it's the same Karen that's a school teacher, is amazing. She raised like $30,000 and 100% of every cent goes to pediatric cancer because my son went through a six-plus-year battle and my whole life now is dedicated to uh, helping um, these kids that need the dollars and the awareness to live um, a better, more fruitful life going through hell. So that's the goal with Southern Nevada, make a wish and cure for the kids out here and abroad. So, and, and, and uh, your son is okay now, right? Thank God. Yes. That's great. God. That is great. Thanks, Anthony, for the call. Thank you. Um, mention that, if you will, talk a little bit about that. Let the audience know, is there a place that they can donate, they can engage? Sure. Uh, because it's great work you're doing. In Thank that you area. so much. If if you want to engage and see a a 12-minute documentary that I made, a film uh, about, uh, it's very inspirational. It's called 1095. So if you look up Chris Angel 1095 on YouTube, watch it and share it. I don't want a penny, but if you want to contribute to the cause, you can go to chrisangelhelp.com. 100% of every cent I raise goes to research, treatment, and to these kids that are battling for their lives. One child every two minutes is diagnosed with cancer, and we must globally work together for the sake of our children who don't have a voice to give them the opportunity to beat this disease like my son did, thank God. Yeah, uh, chrisangelhelp.org? Dot com. Dot com, Chris Angel Help. Of course, Chris is spelled C-R-I-S-S, angel org. Uh, Chris Angel Help. Dot com. Go yeah. there for more information. And uh, as Chris said, that documentary is available to you to watch as well. And if you go to see Chris's show, there is a segment. And you did the, the, the I forgot about this too, our friend Dee Snyder, uh, you did a great version of We're Not Going to Take It, where Dee stripped down the yes. song and He's you're brilliant. on there as well. Dee, yeah. Dee is brilliant, a good friend, and uh, was so kind and generous with um, doing this music video. I had a vision um, to do a little video. He had a, an incredible version, like the Johnny Cass Hurt uh, version. Like of, a piano version yeah, of We're was, Not Going to Take It. It was fantastic, yeah. and uh, I use a harp. And it's just amazing. And we shot a little music video that's included in the show, and it goes together beautifully. And and Dee's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. It's a, and you'll you'll see it in the show um, if you come and see Chris here in Vegas. We'll get one more in here real quick. Max in Orlando. Go ahead, Max. Hey, thanks for giving me a shot, Eddie. I really appreciate it. Um, sure, man. I've been a I've been a, Chris. I've been a lifelong fan of yours, going back to the uh, Fox days. Chris Angel, Mind Freak. Uh, looking into your history, I just want to say thank you for being an inspiration to me and for um, helping me get inspired whenever I'm down, bogged down uh, by life uh, and deal with my episodes of anxiety, depression, and just dealing with fear face forward and actually going out there to achieve my dreams and goals and ambitions. Thank you so much for that, Chris. I really appreciate that. And I hope to catch one of your shows someday, which I never have, but one of these days, you know? So, Max, I want to I wanna thank you for the amazing words and the kind call. Amen, brother, and I wish you nothing but success, positivity, light, love in, in anything you do, and always stay positive because somebody always has it worse than you and me, so we always got to be positive and uh, live the dream, work towards it, find happiness in the things that you do. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. You Be too. well, Max. Take care. Thanks for listening. All right, we got to wrap up again. Uh, you just—I mean, just so much fun hanging and uh, hearing all this stuff. And uh, congrats on an amazing career that's still continuing. I know. Trust me. I, 
you could tell you put the work in, man. I could tell, you know, I as I told you when I met you, I remember hearing about you long <laughs> ago and people pounding away and, you know, they get this guy, you know, Chris is doing this magic thing and he's mm-hmm. doing music. And I'm like, so it's great to finally, you know, get to know you in the recent times. Likewise, and and- Eddie, th- thank you for having me on. And thanks to all your listeners for listening and continued success. And, uh, we're amigos. Yeah, for Thank sure. Thank you so much, man. And neighbors. God bless you. And neighbors. Part time, at yes. least for me. Great conversation with Chris. Hope you enjoyed that. It's uh, If you come to Vegas, check out both of his shows, Mind Freak, the original show, and the brand new just launched, A Mystica, which he actually is not in anymore. He produces it and oversees it. He'll come out and introduce it, but that's more of a different, more of a Cirque vibe to that show. Uh, Mind Freak is the one he actually does and does all the illusions and stuff in. So uh, both great shows. If you get a chance, come see them. And both a very, very prominent rock and roll theme to them. We'll have Chris back in the studio again. I see him quite often when I'm in Vegas. And great guy, like I said. And great charity work he's doing. As a matter of fact, I saw him uh, just a couple days ago in Vegas. And we were speaking and. He's working on something that would be very rock-themed with rock bands playing in December that he wants to tie in me and my radio show to. So as soon as that gets a little firmed up and gets announced, I'll let you know. And it will also be for his charity for pediatric cancer, which, again, is just a tremendous cause. So I hope you enjoyed Chris Angel's story and uh, bringing you something a little different. Obviously, a guy very passionate about rock music, but has made his name in doing magic and two shows like six days a week in Las Vegas at Planet Hollywood. Thanks to Joel Pollack for producing the podcast. Thank you guys all for listening. Again, please join me if you're in the U.S. or Canada for Trunk Nation live on Sirius XM Volume 106 every day, 2 to 4 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. Nightly re-airs 10 to midnight Eastern and full shows, interviews, and more on the Sirius XM app. Be sure to join me for the live show every day here on the podcast, getting a little taste every week of what I'm doing there. Have yourselves a great week. Hope to catch you on the radio. If not, next week, back here next Thursday for another all-new episode of the podcast. Take care.